Hi, my name is Jacob Collins Brown, and this is UKBF Stories, where we are telling the story of small businesses across the UK and shining a spotlight on their journey. Hi, I'm Richard from UK Business Forums, and today I'm with Oyin, CEO and founder of Neo Enterprises. Hello, Oyin. Hi, it's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. The um, so just to kick us off to start with, yeah. the um, we'll come to the story of uh, Neo Enterprises, but. For anybody who's not familiar with Neo Enterprises, yes. could just give us a high-level overview of what Neo is. Yeah, so Neo is a group of companies that looks to economically empower Black women to be producers of um, high-impact ecosystems. And so you might be thinking, what, what does that do? What does that mean? Um, when I started kind of building Neo as a brand. I did a lot of research to understand like what kind of companies that I want to be, I want us to be similar to. Um, I looked at Unilever. I looked at um, Ben and Jerry's, which is a brand that Unilever owns. I love Ben and Jerry's, and I love the way that they kind of present themselves. Um, and I realized that I I wanted us to have build an ecosystem of companies that looks to economically empower black women and to have us as like the producers of those ecosystems. So we are made up of two brands, soon to be three brands. It's, um, it's going to be launching in a few months, which is exciting. Um, one is called Neo Network, which essentially runs, um, we, we like to call ourselves the number one destination for black female disruptors globally. So we run boot camps to get black women into tech. We also have an e-commerce um, business which is all focused on hair and beauty and um, selling like innovative hair and beauty products and equipment um, and the third brand we don't know what we're going to call it just yet um, but essentially it's um, beauty fashion and hair on the blockchain definitely going to come back uh, to the hair focus I yes. love your hair I really love <laughs> so your much. hair Thank you. uh, so the from what I when I was um, doing a bit of reading up before here yeah. I saw so you was born in Nigeria yes. Um, your education was in a boarding school. Yes. So can we sort of roll back to sort of that period of your life and the, the point when you come from Nigeria into UK, what, you know, what does that story? Yeah, absolutely. So born and bred in Lagos, Nigeria, um, with a relatively middle-class um, family. Um, my, my parents didn't necessarily, well, it's debatable, um, but my parents, you know, really had to work hard um, to to get where they got to. And my dad was this kind of really driven man and he saw me as like, you know, this kind of really um, smart child that he really wanted to nurture. So um, he he took me to uh, one of the top boarding schools in Nigeria, probably top three boarding schools actually in Nigeria. Um, and I was there to like, it's a, we call it grade nine there, it's year nine. So I was there to year nine. And then suddenly I moved. Most times when you hear about people moving um, or their, your parents trans, transporting you from one country to another, it's because you're naughty. Um, but actually, my parents wanted to move me here because they found that I was incredibly intelligent for my age and they really wanted me to get kind of started. Because one of the things with the Nigerian um, schooling system um, is that it's really good to, so like a high school at the end of high school level once you start to go to tertiary education it becomes the quality decreases a lot so they wanted to kind of kick me off here quickly but but yeah i, I moved quite abruptly i think i um, i finished grade nine year nine um in nigeria um in in may um did my something called cambridge checkpoint which was like a junior school exam before you can move on to senior school um and um a week after, my dad was like, you're going to the UK next week. <laughs> and I said, why? <laughs> and I was used to visiting here. Yeah. And my dad was like, you know, like, we think that you should, you know, move. So it was really abrupt. So I moved here. Um, I moved here and then my mom was like, you're starting school. Because my mom was living here and my dad was living in Nigeria at the time. Um, I was starting school. I literally got here on the Saturday. I was starting school on Monday. I just finished school. <laughs> um, and mind you, I was in boarding school. I was in boarding school. I didn't go home for holidays because of my exams. Um, 
And my mom was like, you're starting school on Monday. You're going to start with this kind of like placeholder school for now. And you're going to move into, you're going to move to grammar school. You just have to do a series of exams. Now at the time I was like, what's going on? That's quite, <laughs> that's quite a serious transition for such a young person. I know. I know. I, I, I don't like, I mean, my, I think my parents did, thought they did things for the best. I mean, it ended up being for the best, but um, it was really, it was really quite difficult. So mind you, like my school in Nigeria, all I knew everybody was really close with most people. Everyone looked like me, and then coming here, everybody, I was like only black girl in the class. Yeah. So it was just a massive culture shock, massive contrast. And I then got demoted to grade eight in year, to year eight because of my age. Because in Nigeria, it's not by your age; right. it's by your ability. Um, when I I was meant to be moving to year nine, right? Um, year 10, sorry. Um, and then my mom wanted me to go to grammar school but to do this exam. And I remember my mom was like, you need to take like three buses to get to do this exam. And I just thought, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not going to this grammar school um, because it, I was used to not taking buses, just getting transported everywhere, walking in short, like relatively short distances. So I left it. I left a paper blank. It sounds like, yeah. from what you're telling me, that ultimately under all of it, your parents really, ultimately just wanted the best for you though. Yes. They they saw something in you yeah. and were really just pushing for that, you know, to give you the best start, best education you had. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think they've always, my dad especially really was passionate about making sure we had the best education ever. Um, and he, it wasn't just like within formal education, but even at home. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I didn't end up going to this grammar school. So I ended up in like, at the time, one of the worst <laughs> 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 comprehensive schools in, in, the, in Birmingham, or even uh -huh. some, arguably the UK maybe. So contrasting from the best school in Nigeria, one of the best schools in Nigeria to one of the worst schools. Uh -huh. um, that was a really hard transition. So how you just mentioned a moment ago, you've gone from an environment in uh, Nigeria where everything's argued normal so to yeah. speak to come into an environment where you're in a classroom where you're the only black person yeah. in a new country yes. um, in a completely different type of school yes. um, where you're effectively a year behind where you were was not because of you but because just the way the British system mm -hmm. is for education mm -hmm. um, how did that affect you? Well, it affected me. I, I, I don't think I settled into the UK because I'm this this transition happened when I was 12, 13. Yeah. I don't think I truly settled in the UK till I was about 19. Uh. So it took me about seven years to get to a place where I felt settled. Um, it affected me a lot because I, there was a lot of racism from young from kids. Yeah. People would ask me questions like, you know, um, and I, I had, I was, I was, I was, I've always been a very strong-willed woman. Yeah. So like, I was very strong-willed, and I really was passionate about yeah. where I came from. Um, but people would laugh at my accent, and the thing is, I didn't even have the thickest Nigerian accent. Like, I probably yeah. sounded very similar to what I sound right now, but probably like just a lot more international. Yeah. Um, people would take, you know, make jest of me, and I remember there was one day where I literally was like, I got out of character, and I flipped in class in my geography class. And I said, you are not going to talk to me like that. <laughs> and yeah. since then, people stopped, like, kind of, like, making slight comments. But there was still that kind of covert microaggressions that were happening at a young age. But I never stopped. I never mm. stopped believing in what I believe. I never stopped, yeah. um, you know, going, really, like, going in and engaging and sharing about where I came from. Because the narrative that the kids had in this school about where I came from totally different from the narrative that I like I lived like they asked me about like huts and I don't I don't actually see many huts <laughs> so I, I actually did see many huts like you know um where I lived in Nigeria so it was just interesting to see how and I never saw yeah. myself as an African I think yeah. when I came to the UK that's when people were like you're African and I that was a strange concept to me it's a bit like calling you a European yeah you don't see yourself as a European first you see yourself you know just as British or English first. Um, I saw myself as Nigerian first. Um, 
and there's just different narrative that I was still getting used to um, and I really couldn't, you know, took, took my time but I, I still remain bold, still remain confident yeah. in everything that I believe in from my faith to my, my nationality, to everything, I, I stood on that so yeah, um, that was that kind of school transition but on top of that there was a lot of challenges that were happening at home um, I, I think that maybe I don't talk about this enough but there was a lot of like immigration challenges my mom was actually um, invited to come to the UK as a nurse during yeah. Tony Blair's reign and um, she uh, rejected it at first but then she accepted it later on but then there was a lot of immigration rule changes and it affected like a lot of the things in the family from my mom being able to um, support the family to now my dad dad's Nigerian income yeah. supporting us so we actually actually had to have food banks and that was something that I was never used to um, so yeah it was it was an interesting and tough transition I don't think I really accepted that I, that I that must have also been hard where during the period of time where your mum is in the UK working as a nurse yeah. and your dad and you're with your dad in Nigeria for yeah. a period of time before coming over yeah yeah the um you came to the end of education effectively high school yeah. um what was your I mean what was your first jobs like? You know, what 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 did you do uh, as your career when you started? What's funny is, as I said earlier on about being quite bold, um, I, I I was quite a political kid. <laughs> um, I remember me and my dad would have debates of who I was going to be, what I was going to do when I grew up, and he really wanted me to be a doctor at first, and I was like, heck no, like there's no way I'm going to become the president of Nigeria. That was literally what I used to always say. Um, and so because of a lot of that kind of passion and all of the problems I was seeing here and the problems I had seen whilst living in Nigeria, problems of poverty, I decided to take a lot of social impact work. Um, so I started volunteering. I literally did a, like a, a um, I actually have, have an award for it, did like a little campaign in my community that I was living in. Um, of like really raising awareness about sexual exploitation in that community in, in you know when I, in Birmingham, um, and I got like an unsung unsung hero award for it at the age of thirteen, which is like you know, um, but anyway, my first ever kind of job was um, working with a, a small charity, which I'm actually still a um, a, mem a trustee in um, today, um, just being like a campaign ambassador for um, youth, anything to do with that. Um, empowering the youth. So that gave me the opportunity to work with companies like Alcohol Concern. I helped kind of launch the Dry January campaign when I was a lot younger. Um, did a lot of work lobbying in like large um, alcohol companies like Diageo and um, and many other kind of like companies just to kind of make sure that um, they had like good marketing practices. I was part of, I did a lot of stuff with, um, in conduction with the Advertising Standard Agency to make sure that it was like, you know, right, um, marketing um, videos put out so did a lot of those kind of like social impact work um, and then um, because of immigration issues I couldn't go straight to uni at 18 so I was doing this from 13 to 18 um, I got a scholarship very young age to be getting involved in such <laughs> high hitting I was very I was very opinionated I think I'm less opinionated now probably less political now, more probably business-minded. Um, but it's funny because 18, couldn't go to uni. Um, I got a scholarship from Leeds University, but I didn't get the grades um, to, to get in. Um, and my dad was still alive at this point. But my dad died literally not long after, after um, I finished sixth form to go into uni. And I remember having a conversation with my dad um, where he, we were all stuck because I couldn't go to uni because of immigration issues. Um, I would have paid an international school fees even though I'd lived, lived here for about seven years before that time or six years. Um, but my dad was like, yeah, I'm going to pay for the school fees because I've always done this anyway. And I said, no, dad, we're not. You're not paying for my school fees. My dad made me do a presentation of why it's better to have a gap year than go straight to university. I'm so glad that I negotiated with him about that because my dad died in September um, of that year. Um, if, he, if I had said yes to his offer, it would have been more terrible for us because there was no way we would have been able to afford paying for my international school fees. Um, 
I imagine also you would have been away at study exactly when all of that was happening and this was sudden by the way like him passing it was completely sudden um so i kind of did this whole pitch about going to china for a few months um and then also um working in the charity that i'd done a lot of like social impacts work for and then just to find i was going to have a salary that was going to keep me and my dad was for some reason said yes um but then he later said no to me going to china I think he just wanted to say yes at first, just to <laughs> just to encourage. But um, so yeah, I did a gap year, and then got into went straight into university. But again, still very active at university. Got involved with things like Enactus, um, which is basically like a um, an enterpri like enter entrepreneurial kind of social impact entrepreneurial kind of um, group of students across the world who just set up ent enterprise projects to solve the world's biggest problems under the um, SDGs um, and then I took a, a, a year in industry and that's where I would say I had my first corporate job in a FTSE 100 company so here yeah, there, there you go wow um, and so when you started working at in one of these large companies uh, what having gone from all that um, uh, both um, entrepreneurial projects and also quite a few years of campaigning and sort of championing change in so many areas. What was the role that you did in this um, FTSE company? Yeah, so I was um, a, a program, we, the, the role title was a program controller. Um, there was, when I, when I found out there was about 3,000 applicants for the project management internship and seven people got it and I was one of seven. Um, uh, and so I was really quite proud of that and I, apparently I came like second in the process, the whole interview process. So I was really quite proud of that because I, I think even though I was quite a bold child, I don't think I had much confidence in my ability. And I think I'm still working on that till today. I may appear to be confident, but I still think I'm still working on some of those things. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I was program controlling and I was basically program controlling between two the company that I was hired by and like a logistics company. And I was basically running a lot of the digital transformation work, um, which is really interesting because I was not interested in digital at this time. At this time. And I was, not, I was also not interested in global physical logistics. I was really confused of why they put me there. But I think they really wanted to challenge me. And, and the, the part of the business I was in was actually kind of like failing. And I think they were really trying to get like young people to kind of innovate it and bring, you know, um, bring solutions. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my role. I learned a lot. Um, you know, it wasn't, it was a shock, another culture shock. Um, um, but I learned so much. It wasn't the, always the best experience. Um, but I learned a lot and I think that I added so much value to the company as well. Um, and the, but you did experience, um, Racism, basically. Yeah. There's no other way of putting it. <clears throat> you did experience some racism in that environment as sort of your, what effectively is your first major working. Yeah. Um, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so um, the, I remember I was talking, I, was, I had a good, good relationship with the president of the Afro-Caribbean um, kind of um, resource group in this company. And I was just talking about how can we, you know, have inc increased more diversity and inclusion, you know, just like how can we just bring the kind of um, Afro-Caribbean society alive? And um, the president really was passionate about the same thing. And we were like, Do you know what, why don't we talk to the VP of sales to kind of share some of the reasons why we want this and why there's no inclusion. And I was working in a, like um, a lot of my kind of colleagues were Scandinavian. Um, and from like different Eastern European countries. And I had so many microaggressions to, to the extent where sometimes people, you know, to ask me, why is my hair so bushy? <laughs> Which I find really strange out and, you know, um, and I remember speaking, we, we were speaking to the VP of sales and I mentioned this and I said, why don't we talk about a white woman's hair? Like, why is, why is it that a white woman's hair is um, just seen as blonde and straight? And a black woman's hair is bushy and unattractive. Like, that's not okay. And then he, the VP of sales then was like, 
Well, it's a bit like when my, um, when my colleague came into work, this is how he put it. My colleague came into work with an ugly bow tie and everyone was like, you've got an ugly bow tie on it. It's the same as your hair. You come into work, your hair, he likened my hair to an ugly bow tie, <laughs> basically. Something that, you know. So I was just like, we just, I, I think we were just so silent. Like we were like, we don't know. I didn't know what to say. Like I froze. And so I said, is this, this is coming from the leadership. There's no point being here. But at this point, I had, I had been featured on the website as one of the most inspirational women at this, at this company. So I'd done a lot of good stuff. I was featured in Nottingham Post for saving the company quite a lot of money um, in, um, in that kind of, in the area of the business. But at the same time, I couldn't just, couldn't be myself. And I was just, I think I was also quite creative and I don't think that was the environment that was gonna nurture my, the fullness of me, so, yeah. And is that that point where you decided to start your own business? No, I didn't actually, this business journey was, a, it was all coincidental. Like, as I said to you, my goal was to become the president of Nigeria. My goal was to go to university and study PPE. My dad disagreed highly with me doing that. Um, when he was, when we were negotiating when he was still alive, because he was, he started to work in government. Um, uh, he was serving in government as like um, the commissioner for infrastructure. And it's like, I think the special assistant for infrastructure in his state in Nigeria. And he saw the reality of, of yeah. government and he didn't want his child to have to go through the same thing. Wise man. Sorry. Wise man. <laughs> so I was just like, so we were like, he was like, you're not doing PPE because that's not going to get you anywhere. He wanted me to study computer science. I'm just like, that's interesting because that's kind of the field I'm in now. But we negotiated for me to just study economics and management. So I was like, yeah, this could be, I looked at like what like some of the politicians had studied. PPE was one of them. And then the next was like economics. And I was like, but dad, like I can go into economics and management and get into big companies. So that was my compromise. But secretly, I was using that as a way of, my way into politics. That was what I was going to do. Um, but it, it's been, a, it's just happened all coincidentally and by research and doing a lot of research over the years that I realized that the way I was going to solve the problems that I was really passionate about wasn't going to be directly by politics. And just listening to a lot of politicians, um, they are not the problem solvers. They are, from what I've, you know, my, based upon my, my study, they're not necessarily the problem solvers. They're just the policy in initiators. They're just the policy writers. So if I'm gonna solve problems, I have to solve problems by being the builder of solutions. So um, yeah, it's just, it's all just happened organically. I didn't plan to go into business whatsoever. So, so the first, but the first, when you made that step, yeah. the first one was, if your first step was focused on hair. Yeah. Which I find interesting. So, when you, um, is there any link between sort of what you experienced um, and bow tie, yeah. <laughs> the um, and your first step into entrepreneurialism yourself, or setting up um, hair technology? Yeah, interesting. So, it's funny because when I first started doing, I started doing hair because of a problem again. When I moved to the UK and my mom was paying a lot of money compared to what I was used to paying in Nigeria for doing my sister's hair and my hair, I was like, mom, don't worry. Like I've learned this from Nigeria. Like, you know, we have like house stewards and this house steward was like, became like an auntie. And in fact, she's still like my auntie till today. She's like my second mom. And she had taught me, you know, how to, how to like braid hair and stuff. So I started braiding hair. My mom was like, your hair, this is really good. My mom always encourages me. She started, she printed business cards for me. Even though I was just, I was like, this is so strange. And I didn't want to do her friend's hair, but she, she was like, you should, it's really like, you're really good. Um, so I started just at the age of 14. <laughs> no one knew my age at this time. That was outside of my, uh, like my family members and my family friends. Um, and then, um, I grew my clientele to a hundred people. At this point, I still didn't see it as a business because I was just like, I'm just doing hair and I'm loving it. <laughs> and I'm making good money from the at the side. Um, so you started this during your teens, yeah. um, whilst you were still going through education, going to university, working, working to charities, yeah. 
um, and you still had this sort of a look following along the line throughout that whole period of time. Literally, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so grew my clientele, but I was actually planning to stop doing hair at university. Then one day I was going through like one of my DS, like my DSLR camera, um, um, of, and I'm looking at the pictures that I'd done over the years, and I posted it on my personal Instagram, like, oh, look at how neat the partings are. Don't you just love a good parting? And all my friends at university were like, I cannot believe that you've been hiding this from us. <laughs> like, what do you mean? You do hair? Then everybody was like, come and do my braids, come and do my hair. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then my photographer friend, God bless her soul, um, was like, I need to feature you on my blog. And I was like, what? But at this point, I didn't, there was no brand. It was just all in doing, just like doing hair. Um, and then she said, well, you need to find your brand name. And I called it Hair by Oyen at the time. So she featured me on her blog and I started, I just scaled to about 300 clients um, across the Midlands, by the way, um, by the age of 21, I believe, whilst still working at this 4100 company and, well, and also um, studying and everything like that. But whilst I was doing hair during those transitional years, because our hair takes a long time to do, you have conversations. And a lot of the conversations will, I will be having with some of the women will be about, how can I be empowered? How can I do better with my life? How can I make more money? And, and I, I end up giving people business ideas and business, business advice. And they'll come back after the appointment asking me for business advice that I just didn't have the capacity to give. And I said, let's run an event all about um, this and we would have a journal where we would you, you would note all of these things down um so we had our first event and we had 80 people turn up we had lots of great sponsored who sponsored in kind um and then people were like we want more then we did it next year we had 150 then we did it the next year we had 350 and we had different themes per year and before i would pick the theme i would always pray because i'm a christian and that theme would kind of naturally become the theme for the year for the project or the passion projects I was running. Um, I, didn't, I didn't call it that at the time, it was just a thing. Um, and so, um, yeah, like that's, that's kind of how we all fizzled out. And it was the, 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 the latest major one, which was in 20, was it 2019 or 2020? 2020, yeah, 2020, February 2020, that caused us to kind of pivot into tech because again, that's where we are yeah. And that's where uh, Neo Enterprises came about, presumably. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it did. I mean, we, I registered a company in 2018 um, after a lot of the um, demand for, I don't know, whatever it was, like economic empowerment is what I would call it, increased and I couldn't do it on my own. Um, and my, my best friend now, who is our CEO, Chief Operating Officer, um, just felt sorry for me and helped me, you know, like here and there. And then now she's the CEO of the company. So, yeah. And the, from there, you've got Black Coder. Yes. And then you've got Black Disruptors. Yeah. The, um, if we took Coder first, yes. the, because that's, that's something that we have a, a company, we employ coders. Yeah. The, uh, so, What's the, um, asking a leading question here, but what, what's the focus on there, the motivation? And what's some of the, um, I mean, if you have any sort of statistics and data around, you know, the emphasis on, you know, diversity in programming, software sector? Yeah, absolutely. So Black Coder came about as a result of our third ever large event, which had 350 women from across Europe black women specifically from across Europe. Um, and the theme of that event was the connectivity of technology to creativity here in BT at the time. And we had a coding class and there was about 50 women present in that coding class. Um, but there was such a need from it from them. And at this time I didn't realize, um, I'd done a lot of like research as I was doing my master's in development economics, still on this path of becoming an economist first and I'm finally somehow getting into politics. But, um, and um, did a lot of research and I realized actually a lot of the jobs that the community had built. So at this point we were like a thousand people on, um, on, on our database. Um, I realized that actually 
a lot of their jobs were going to be automated. So I needed to make them the producers of the automated automation. So that was all I did. But then I'd gone into deeper research. And according to, to BCS, British Computer Society, less than one, something like less than 1% of black women are in tech, which is heavily underrepresented. So we really just wanted to focus in on that. And also the fact that tech does economically empower, it pays well. Um, so that was the kind of like the need, um, not just economically empower the women, but economically empower their families and multiple other generations. So um, now I'm so proud to say, and I, I literally smile when I think about this, um, we have upskilled, I can't, I can't tell you black code and black disruptor, but in total we've upskilled 300 women so far since 2020. Um, and a lot of them have gone into places like the London Stock Exchange, UBS, KPMG, some some exciting startups like Zappi. Um, you know, like we, it's it's an awesome thing to do. Not you're not just running a business, but you're actually changing people's lives. I literally get some students message me at least once every month, say thank, just saying thank you for changing my life. Um, yeah, and it's not like they, they got him because they're black. They got him because they were good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's an important aspect for it because yes. that, it's not um, the... I'm, I'm remembering a conversation I had with a really inspirational lady, Shalom, uh, a few weeks ago. Yes. Um, and having talking to her, it's, it's about, you know, em, the empowerment isn't about handouts. Mm -hmm. so it's mm -hmm. about actually empowering giving the tools the knowledge yes, um she used the term handing on the baton mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that's yeah that that is what i picked up as really important about what you do mm -hmm. the and what you mentioned there about because women in general uh, particularly in tech and programming software development as you say sort of writing the automation side mm -hmm. of things are underrepresented anyway. Yes. Um, I know that as a general for the in industry. Yeah. But the when you look at, so give or take, um, the population of the UK specifically, so 8% yeah. is black, yeah. um, give or take. Yeah. And then when you say that only 1% are in the industry mm -hmm. um, itself, so you've already got an issue, which is then even further compounded itself to lead to such a small percentage. Yeah, exactly. I think, but also, we actually was having a conversation with this with my colleagues yesterday, like talking about, okay, we, we are the minority. But one of the things that the narratives I share is that we are not the minority. We're the minority in the UK, but we're the majority in the world. When we look at things, and we're becoming more of a borderless society because of globalisation. So we need to shift away from just thinking about things from a nation perspective. So if you think about it, like we are still heavily represented based upon being a majority across the globe, that's a challenge. But also the 80-20 principle, if 20% of the people of the population um, are hard, you know, they're um, mostly affected poverty, uh, mostly affected by not being skilled, it's gonna affect the 80%, if you see what I'm saying. So even if we were to kind of scale it down to the UK. Um, so it's really important that we create a fair society that everyone can play equally. So, whilst I've got you here, are you running your own or have a keen interest in small business? Then UKBF is here for you. Visit ukbf.co.uk and become part of our vibrant community to meet other like-minded business owners and tap into a wealth of expertise and experience to help your business thrive. Now, back to the story. Yeah. And, and then disruptors is going on to the um, next level. So you've, you're empowering and developing black women yeah. uh, to be programmers. Yeah. The, what does disruptors do? Yeah, so we started Black Coder. And we do this, by the way, we do this in collaboration with Coding Black Females, which is another awesome organization um, that, that gets black women into tech. Um, but Black Disruptor happened because, again, the community said, well, we don't all, all want to be coders. We don't all, all want to be software engineers. Is there any other areas in tech that, that we can take part in? And so we launched Black Disruptors, which is um, Black Disruptors Career. 
and Black Disruptors um, founders. The career boot camps are for other tech careers. So if you want to go into VR and AR, so launch things on the metaverse, that's a great place to go and learn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is awesome. I, I think that's my favorite boot camp, I'll be honest. Um, and some of our ladies have created some amazing stuff, which is just like mind blowing. Um, and then, you know, um, and, uh, and if you want to get into data and AI, we, we teach that. If you want to, we're exploring robotics, which is super exciting. We're exploring blockchain, and because I'm building a blockchain blockchain software, um, you know, um, we, we're we exploring um, UX and UI, because a lot of our community actually want to go into UX, UI. So every other area of tech that we can think of, and even, you know, even FinTech, and even within blockchain, decentralized finance, um, in decentralized autonomous organizations, those are the things that we're really, really kind of exploring to see how can we make as many black women as possible globally to be equipped with the tech skills needed. Because automation is gonna affect us the most <laughs> if we don't upskill. With picking up on two of those subjects then, just to sidetrack for a moment, yeah. where do you see the metaverse evolving? Um, I'd probably I'd, I'd go where so so where do you see uh, because um, I asked the question because I was at an event a few weeks ago yeah. and the room was polar split <laughs> uh, between okay. I see a future here and this is bad evil like horror you know what is this yeah. the environment about yeah. so uh, the I see it um, I see it quite interesting yeah. in that the you an environment is being created yeah. where you can conduct commerce, yeah. interact uh, worldwide with brands, you're shopping, yeah. you can do things in the metaverse yeah. that then uh, impact whether it's a delivery, a purchase, business um, in the real world. Yeah. The... I find it interesting, yeah. but you know I'm a couple of years older than you, and I've <laughs> so the a little bit old school. So I find it a little bit unnerving. Yeah. But putting my own personal sort of you know what I do, how do I think of it, and looking at the younger generation, how the younger generation are evolving and adapting into a virtual environment and yeah. living. Do you know what I think? Every technology advancement comes with its strong danger. <laughs> um, what the kind of technology rev, 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 revolution web two you call it we're in web two at the moment we're transitioning to web three it's still there's still a lot of danger that's attached to it change requires boldness change requires a level of um faith so um i'm not gonna say that the metaverse is going to be the best thing since sliced bread no that's not that's not where i stand i think it's going to solve some um really um big problems that humans now have because of the last phase of technology advancement that we've had humans have had issues with their data you know data privacy human and we we're now tired of that now we want to take it to the next level where we own things so the metaverse is not just about what you've just explained um or web3 i would say it's not just about the metaverse web3 is also about individual ownership democratizing um ownership of resources and and, and having an um, equal playing field as well. Um, I do think that it is a bit of a, I think that if we don't build tools and we don't build solutions that reduces the risks of this disconnecting our society, we, <laughs> we are kind of doomed. Um, but I do, I do, I have connected with a lot of people who are trying to build solutions to do with um, making sure that we can make things as safe as we can in this new technology and advancement. Um, what do I think? What's my opinion? I don't. I, I don't know because I'm not. It's not all evolved yet. I mean, I went to went to a Web three summit a few weeks ago in Denver. I met everybody. I met everyone that you needed to know that was building the Web three space, um, and everyone's figuring it out. So if you if you are scared of it. Come in and share your thoughts because it's going to influence how it's going to be built. I think if we are scared and don't say anything, we can't complain when it happens. <laughs> um, 
and we weren't part of the revolution. So I'm making sure that I'm really engaged in the Web3 space right now. I mean, meeting the CEO of Binance, who's creating the Gnosis chain, like, and talking to him about some of, some of the things that he needs to think about, thinking about how, how we need to make sure that we're not um, causing inequality in the Web3 space, because that's the reason why Web3 exists. People are tired of inequality, and they want to have fair, fair um, engagement. Um, but yeah, I could talk about I could talk about the nuances of Web three all day. But um, that's my opinion. It's still evolving, and I can't give my opinion of it right now. Like I, it's it's something that's happening. Um, but let's make sure that we're engaged in the conversation and putting our best foot forward, or else when the solution comes, let's not complain. Um, where's Neo Enterprises going next? The next next thing, um, we we have a goal to. Um, upskill as many black women as possible globally as we can. We have this bold goal. Um, I mean, we've upskilled 300 so far. We have this bold goal of um, upskilling up to 1 million in in the next five years. That's that's our bold goal um, for Neo Network specifically and in all manner of tech, literally. We want to build tech geniuses to make people like producers of the, that's really powerful. Like I was saying this to my business coach. I think it's really powerful because people who were underrepresented are gonna be players, massive players, and influential people in the space, which is awesome. Um, then another next step is that, as I said, I'm making sure that I'm engaging in the Web3 ecosystem. So we're building beauty, hair, and fashion on the blockchain, making sure that we're not excluding people who are in the, in in the non-crypto space or the non-Web3 space, make sure that we're including them. Um, yeah, pretty much. And, um, just continue to grow, continue to stay authentic to who we are and continue to impact lives. Having a quadruple bottom line of people, profit, purpose, and planet. You just, if whoever's watching this wasn't listening carefully, you just brushed very briefly oh, the passing comment okay. that you were speaking to your business coach. Okay, cool. So okay. I'd love to pick up on that okay. because that's something that um, is quite a sort of, a theme that's mentioned a few times within UK business forums yeah. and um, as UK business forums we've sort of done a whole section about mentoring and coaching. Yeah, yeah. The Tell us a bit about your business coach yes, yes, and yes. how important it has been to you to have a coach. What, what role do they play in yeah. helping you drive your business? So I'm a Christian and um, for People who are listening that might be Christian, you might be able to recognize. But there's a, there's a person in the Bible called Samuel. Um, Samuel had was a coach um, for 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 David, I believe. Yeah, for David. Um, and Samuel could was able or mentor for David. And same with Esther in the Bible as well. She she had a coach, Mordecai, who was able to kind of push her to who she was, who she's meant to be. So I see that coach. Uh, I see my coach as someone, or not just my coach, but my multiple council of coaches and mentors and advisors, not just in business, but in my spiritual life and in all manner of life, in all manner of my life, that push me into who I'm meant to be. Um, so, because no man is an island. <laughs> um, who I am today is not because I'm great. Who I am today is because I've listened to advice and I've submitted myself to counsel, right? So, um, my business coach practically for me today has paid so much into how I think, most importantly. Um, many entrepreneurs undermine, you know, the quality of their mindsets and linking it to their business. You, you don't actually realize how much your mindset plays to your business. I mentor quite a lot of business women, right? And a lot of things that I realized that, that causes some to be successful and some to not be as successful is mindset. Um, my business coach has really helped my mindset think big. So her motto, her name is Daniela Genus. Um, the name of her brand is She's the Boss, for anyone who's interested. So um, her motto is think big, take action, keep pushing. I remember when I first started my relationship with her, um, I wasn't paying her. It was, it was through a, a program called Innovate to Succeed. Um, and I remember going to her with a charity, basically, at the time, because as we were talking, it was really just a charity thing. Um, and, I, and I was sharing my goals, and she said, that is too small. And I thought, wow, she's really challenging my mindset. And now, 
I think so big. So it's really important to have accountability and people who have gone before you. And she had done a journey that I, I was just about to embark in. So, um, so, so yeah, um, pretty much like, it's really important to have somebody who can push you. I can see beyond where you are right now and see who, who you're meant to be to really push you um, in business and also in all, in all aspects of life. Um, every man needs accountability. I was just about to say accountability is a key thing yeah. for it. You know, you're sort of, you, they hold you to what you say you're going to do as yeah. well. So yeah. that's fantastic. Is there any role models that you have that you aspire to with, or or just give you that mental push and challenge that you look you look to in, well, whether it's in business, life. Yeah. So role models that I I think about. I mean, do you know what's funny? Because I don't feel like I have many role models. I feel like in the past when people ask me this question, I've lied <laughs> pretty much. Because you, know, you just want to think about something cool. The reason why I've noticed that I don't really have many role models, I do have some, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you who they are, um, is because I need to know them and the quality of their life. And I, a lot of people that mention role models talk about celebrities. You don't really know them. You just see what they want you to see. So I don't have many role models because of that. But my role models, I can tell you now, are my dad, who's now passed away, God bless his soul. Um, and he keeps me going. Um, my late grandma as well. My late grandma was really a tenacious woman. Like she wasn't, she wasn't like the most entrepreneurial or whatever. She was just a simple woman who, with every opportunity that she had, she used to encourage and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, literally. That was all she did, like, that's all she did. And I remember going back to um, one of my, my grandparents' properties and one of her friends came up to me and I was like, I, I miss your grandma. I remember she actually like sat me down and 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 was like, you know, sharing sharing the good news of, of, of the Bible with me. So she, like just her tenaciousness really, really inspires me. Another role model for me, um, again, is, Joseph in the Bible, um, because he was in a prison for multiple, like, for multiple years, um, but he still maintained an integral character. Um, character. Um, so those are my three main role models. I don't have many because I don't know many, know many people to the depth where I can say, actually, I want to be like you. But if I was to, you know, rebuttal myself and say, actually, who do I aspire to be like in the business scene? Someone that I've been noticing and I've been really studying his life is Steve Butler. I think he's got an int like a really good, good character. He's also a good business person. He's got a good balance because most most times you see someone who's really good at business, but you're not sure about their character. They might not be really good people, or they they might not have much integrity, or they because I've I have dealt with a lot of really good business people who are rich, but their integrity stinks. You know, um, <laughs> you know, or they don't have the best character. You can't have a conversation with them, they're not fair. You know, from what I've seen from Steve Bartley, he seems to have that kind of good balance. And um, from a female, one of the people that I really admire from her, like her writings and just her, um, just how she uses, a woman called Ngozi Okonjo Iwela, who used to be the president of the World Bank. Um, and he used to also be the finance minister of Nigeria. Um, but those, those are, I'll say, kind of people I look at, study their lives and think, hmm, might pick up some things there, here and there. Um, so yeah, those. I, I think the the family links important, and I so aligned and believe in similar in what you're saying about when you look, um, whether it's on social media yeah. and you look in the press, you only ever see very much what people want you to see. Yeah. Every you see their lives, you see their successes through a filter. Yes, yes, yes. And that's relevant in so many. I saw a um, fantastic, it was a Dove advert actually on TV last night. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I saw it straight away and I didn't, didn't even know it was an advert for soap. <laughs> uh, and it was talking about how social media is in, impacting young girls in particular mm -hmm. because the pressure it's putting on them. Mm -hmm. But that, um, I mean, that's so important, but it also leads on to so many other aspects of social media. Yeah. Um, Steve Bartlett, I think he's brought a brilliant change to Dragon's Den. Mm -hmm. I'll be watching it tonight. <laughs> the, um, but his line of questioning is fresh yeah. and unique. 
authentic, I think. Yeah. He's very he's an authentic leader. Yeah. yeah. The um I almost I feel like I'm already gonna know the answer to this question. <laughs> <laughs> Having spoken to you for a little for today now. Yeah. But community um is what so when I originally set up or got UK business forums up and yeah. going, um the reason behind it was I was in I sat at the table in the kitchen, mm-hmm. started my own business. My daughter was like six months old. I couldn't wow. hardly pay many of the bills. It was, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was an uphill struggle and it was lonely. Even though I was living with my wife, mm-hmm. um, it's, it was just there. Mm-hmm. So UK Business Forum started to create that community aspect mm-hmm. because it wasn't. The, I've already heard you mention several times as we've been talking about how various aspects of what I would say communities played an important role in supporting you. Mm. Um, the, where, ha- you know, talk about some parts where it has, because I already know it has been <laughs> from what you've said. Do you know what? I think um, if we look at it vertically and horizontally, um, in the sense that I've had different communities that have supported me. I think I'm like one of those people that really just maximizes my life. <laughs> I, I, I like to maximize my life. I think my dad taught me that. And the fact that my dad died so suddenly made me realize you've got to maximize your life <laughs> because you don't know when, when you're going to go. Um, and you don't know, you need to make sure that you're going to the right place type of thing. So, um, the type, the communities that have supported me, I think from, living in Nigeria, having a community that grew, like, that, that actually, like, raised me. It wasn't, I wasn't just raised by my parents. I was raised by a whole community. You know, that was awesome. Um, I take my friendship seriously, and I'm very intentional about who I keep as my friends, um, because it really shapes who I am. Um, because, you know, like, um, you know, there's a saying that, you know, you are, you are, like, the three people that you hang out with or something like that. Um, That's the one thing. I think the mentors thing, super important, because as a leader, you probably don't have many people that tell you about yourself. (laughs) You don't. So having accountability that can can correct you in love is really important. Um, I think that's the second thing. I think another thing as well, from like a, um, from like, like from the community that I've built, listening to them, listening to what they want and, and responding also teaches me a lot about myself and what's, what I'm doing well, what I need to improve. Um, and, and also, I've, I have this massive dream to replicate myself. That sounds really like vain. <laughs> but what I mean is replicate myself as a leader. I want to see, I want to build other leaders. Um, so uh, interacting with women that we're working with really helps me to understand how do I empower them to be the best leader that they can be. So when they step into, you know, maybe your company, for example, when they step into one of our partner companies, they are leading with power and not just with power, but they're leading with peace as well. Um, you know, how do I do that? So that's how I guess like communities have influenced me. I think I'm also... A woman of faith, so I am a Christian, as I've said many times. Um, um, so, like, my faith and the community of faith has really, really supported in how I think, how I approach things, you know, how to um, react to certain things, how to do some stuff with, how to do things with fairness, how to make sure that everybody is, you know, fairly treated as, you know, as I would want to be treated, and things like that. Um, and just principles as well, just understanding just really, you know, important principles for success. Um, yeah, that's, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, no, that's great. And there's a synergy there in that you've just touched on it, but NEO is a community that you're yeah. building up of connecting people together. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of empowerment within that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it scales without me. Like people are connecting with each other, really um, empowering one another. It's like peer mentoring that goes on without my knowledge. Um, you know, yeah, it's, 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 it's awesome, it multiplies. The, now you've done this from a young age, as I've learned today, um, but talking about 
uh, personal branding in a sense. So yeah. the and utilizing social media, how important do you feel it is both for you in what you do, but I think businesses in generally that the leader, the voice, the person who's driving it forward is out there and seen and and building their personal brand. Absolutely. Um, there's a TED talk called The Danger of a Single Story by Chimamanda Adichie. And one of the things that that, that TED talk taught me is it's important to share many stories um, because it shapes the reality of our world. So if you're a business that's doing awesome stuff and you're not sharing and you're not making what you, the awesome stuff that you're doing visible, you're not contributing to the, the diversity of stories that exist. Now, that might seem very like trivial and very small, but, you know, the fact that, let's just go back to my hair thing and the ugly bow tie thing. The fact that that senior person said that was probably because of a lack of many stories. If you link, link, if you actually link it, link and think deeper, you know, you probably just, he's probably just seen one story all his life. But actually the beauty of social media is that I can share my story and I have my own stage, but I use it for, for, for good and to share important, important things. So um, personal brand is important for, for that, number one, and also for making history. Like you literally told me <laughs> just before the interview about all of the research that you had done, but you wouldn't have got all of that data if I did not document my stories. Um, so it's, I'm actually writing my own, like my own page in history books by documenting on social media, regardless of how awesome or, you know, the good, the good things and the bad things, the ups and the downs, I need to make sure I'm documenting that and sharing it. Um, so yeah, that's just, that's just my um, approach to things. I would add to that in that by reading those stories, yeah you're enriching your own life um, and enlightenment as well the we have some fascinating stories in our stories shared in our office we have a lot of conversations in the corner of my eye i see jacob over there (laughs) holding a camera and talking but we've you know we've over a coffee many times just had some you know fantastic conversations Mm -hmm. uh, about the bible Mm -hmm. about cultures about life and it's um and whether it's about business, whether it's about the individual, uh, you're sharing enlightenment um, about um, the business, the products, Mm -hmm. the person, the stories, the, um, I love it. As an individual, I love just consuming all that knowledge and just learning. The, um, so, sort of bringing the story, it's been a fascinating story, bringing it sort of, so winding it down now, what's you you mentor and you um, help a lot of women. Yes. The what are the three common or sort of you know key pieces of advice if you used to just pick three that you think help the most or what you would share the most? I think as I said earlier on mindset. Mindset, even rather if, regardless of whether you're a bus- you want to go into business or you want to be a strong woman in career, your mindset is the key thing. You know, if you don't think you can do it, I mean, there was there's a um, Descartes quote: "I think, therefore I am." Interesting, right? How can it be that you think, therefore you are? <laughs> it's along. Um, there's another quote, and it's been attributed to a number of different people, but yeah. I think like. Um, like um well anyway the it says uh whether you believe you can or you, you believe you can't you're right mm. it's so interesting isn't it like you are right based upon your mindset yeah. basically so it, it it shows you the power of the mind um so you can essentially tell your mind what you, <laughs> what to do so your mindset is so important i think that's the one thing i think the second thing is hard work but hard work smart um don't just work hard make sure that you're working hard towards a smart goal um that's the second thing um and i think the third thing as well is the right people having the right people whether it be the right networks um whether it be and i I think that's why you know uk business forums is so important because it's it's a it's a community of people supporting one another um 
you know, having the right people is super key. Um, key influencers, key um, partners, key, um, you know, friends, key people to help you get to where you need to get to and keep you accountable. That's brilliant. And the, what would you like, when your time on this plane comes to an end and uh, wherever we go afterwards, what would you like to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for a woman who stood on what she believes, full, full stop. I think, I've, I think that's what I've always wanted to be, who just stood for what she believes and she impacted many people's lives, changed people's lives. I'm pretty confident <laughs> you will. Thank you. Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Really Thank you appreciate much. it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed watching this. It's a fascinating story. Um, please like and subscribe and there'll be many more stories to come. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Remember to like, share and subscribe to help spread the stories of small businesses across the UK. Have you got a story to share? Reach out to us on ukbf.co.uk and you never know, you could be the next UKBF story.